Right. So, when I was a child, I was very close to my grandfather. My grandfather was um, a lovely man. We lived um, on the edge of um, Epping Forest in Loughton. And um, he would take me from a very young child out into the forest and we would walk through the forest and he would point out the different trees to me and the plants that grew underneath them. He would tell me what bird I could hear singing or could see in the trees. He would tell me stories about the squirrels and the owls that lived there. I loved my grandfather very much. And um, he would take me back to his house and then he would play classical music, which I didn't understand at all at that age. But he would tell me about it. He would play Beethoven's Pastoral or the Anedin Line or a whole range of things. And he would tell me the stories behind those um, that, that classical music. And then as I got a bit older, I got interested in writing and I started writing poetry and things like that. And you know what? He was my biggest supporter and during his life, he left footprints in my life by what he sowed into my life. He died more than 30 years ago now, but I still remember the things that he did, that he told me. He didn't talk much about his own upbringing or his own background, and so I actually found out quite a lot after he died. I found out that um, he signed up to fight in the First World War um, before he was 16. He lied about his age. He ended up um, working with, uh, I don't quite understand how it worked then, but some of the officers had horses and they'd have sort of, you know, I suppose you couldn't have privates or sort of batmen really, as they called them, to actually help with the horses. And so he knew nothing about horses, but he learned to look after this, this horse, uh, the officer that he served. And he fought in some of the um, uh, battles that we know about in Passchendaele and survived. His brother wasn't as lucky. His brother was killed on the front line. But he had such um, a kindness and a love about him, and he didn't let those experiences um, affect him badly. Now, I became a, a Christian when I was 16 and uh, had to tell my grandfather all about it, and he listened, and uh, he was very thoughtful, and um, he would encourage me in that. But as far as I knew, he didn't have a faith of his own. Then when he died, I found out something very interesting. I was talking to their neighbours, my grandparents' neighbours, um, one day after he died. And they were saying to me what a wonderful man that he was, how kind he was, how helpful he was, how he always had a good word and uh, would help them when they needed it. And they said, and he was such an amazing man, wasn't he, praying like he did every day for his family. So I sort of said, what do you mean? And they said, oh, every night, I mean, he used to talk to them and say that every night before he went to bed, he would pray for every one of his family. Now, if I tell you that he had seven children and those seven children went on to have, I don't know how many grandchildren, I have more cousins than I can count. And every night my grandfather prayed for every one of them. And because my grandmother knew how close we were after he died, she gave me some of his writings. He'd spent so much time encouraging me. And you know what it's like as a teenager? You don't really think about anybody else's world. But he would encourage me, and I'd never really asked him about, about anything he might do. But he used to write. And my grandmother gave me um, the poems and the, wor the words that he'd written. 
And he wrote a lot about the countryside because he loved it so much. A man that had been brought up in the east end of London, but had found Epping Forest when he was working on the buses after the war and had then moved out there and retired out there. And um, as I was looking through the, the things that he'd written, I was enjoying all the things about the birds and the trees and all the things that he told me about when I was growing up. But then I found one other um, piece of work by him, which was kind of halfway between a poem, really, and a piece of prose. And it was called Easter Day. And he talked about how Christ died on the cross. And he talked about how it broke the heart of God when his son died on the cross. And it talked about in that death how new life came into being. This was a man that understood that when you put what seems to be a dead seed in the ground or um, you know, a tree loses all its um, leaves in the winter, that actually in the spring new life comes. And he put that into what he wrote about Jesus. So do you know what? My grandfather, he left footprints in my life after his death as well because I remembered that and I as I was you know still um, growing in my Christian faith I began to understand that actually my grandfather although he wasn't a man to talk about it very much somewhere he had learned what Jesus did for him and actually I think when he went out into the woods and when he went out into nature and he saw everything around him he worshipped the God that he knew that created all those things And I suppose it got me thinking about um, the footprints that I leave in other people's lives. One of the things that my grandfather really did was to make me feel valued and important. And it challenges me to think, you know, what do I do that makes people feel valued and important? What do I do that leaves those footprints in their lives? But this morning I want to just talk about two fruits of the Spirit and the power they have and the footprints that they leave. And that is um, the uh, footprints of love and kindness. Some of you might remember a little while ago I preached on perseverance, which is another one of the fruits of the Spirit. And it's made me look at the fruits and sort of think about them again. Can you put Galatians 5 up, Jane, if that's possible? Brilliant. Okay, we're not going to go right through this whole passage, but I just wanted to put the fruits of the Spirit in their context. If you look, you'll find that um, it's actually right at the end. It's actually uh, verse 32. If you could jump through to that, and then we'll be going back in a minute. Is that possible? Yeah, there you go. So the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. So the fruits of the Spirit, they come in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And if you read Paul's letter, you'll find that actually a lot of what he's, he's talking about is um, reminding the Galatians that they are under grace, not under law. And they'd, um, they were struggling with that, um, particularly some of the... Um, some of the new Gentile converts were being put under pressure to be circumcised. And we see that right at the very beginning. So if we can jump back to that, if we can find it, or I'll just read it to you. In verse 1, it says this. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So Paul is trying to remind them that circumcision, um, which was you know, part of Jewish law and Jewish tradition, has no place 
in, um, the, if, if we're under the law of grace. Actually, the law of grace is the law of freedom. And we've been set free from the demands of the law. Now, the fruit of the law is obedience to a set of rules and the burden of guilt and failure that that brings. It's the yoke of slavery that Paul is talking about here. In Romans 7, Paul tells us that we were slaves to sin and therefore bound by the law. But in verse 6 of Romans 7, it says this, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Still, we, we still serve, but we serve in a different way. We're no longer bound by the demands of the law. It's not um, about a set of rules. It's about freedom. It's about something else. See, the fruit of grace is the fruit of the Spirit. That is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we are free to live in those things and to live lives that both enjoy those things and demonstrate them. Just look at that list for a moment. You see, we enjoy them because he is love. I think we've lost the list, but that's okay. We'll come back. Romans 5, uh, sorry, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 3. So it says, um, we have love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So think about the ways that he has expressed those things to you. Because that's who he is. And when we see that list, sometimes we just think of it about as, as things that we should do, you know, things that we should see in our lives. And it is true that we are looking to see those things in our lives. But first and foremost, it's about who he is. And we enjoy them because he demonstrates those things to us. He acts towards us with love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I say them often enough, you'll probably remember them by the end of the sermon. And not only do we get to experience them, we also get to demonstrate them because he is in us and because he is in us, then that makes it possible for us to imitate him in those things. And those things which are part of who he is can become part of who we are as well. Excuse me, I was singing so much earlier. I've got no voice on. I'm just hoping that water got put there this morning. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Right. Um, oh, right, where am I? Yeah. So, as we demonstrate those things in our life, as we demonstrate love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it's like we leave footprints wherever we go. So we walk in those things, if you like. And as we walk in them, you look behind us and you'll see them. You'll see the marks of them. And people, we can leave footprints like that in other people's lives. If we look at, um, if we look at, uh, well, I should say actually that particularly I think this is true when we think about the footprints of love and kindness. And right through the New Testament, you know, we hear about the love of God, but we also hear about the kindness of God, his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And I'll talk about a little bit more about love and kindness in a moment, but actually they are very powerful footprints that we can, le- we can leave. 
Going back to verse 6 of Galatians 5, if we can find that one. I'm really giving Jane a hard time this morning. Brilliant, thank you. We're jumping around. So if we look at um, verse 6, we'll see this. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So I was quite interested by that little sentence because I thought to myself, it's not just about circumcision, it's also about uncircumcision. So sometimes we kind of see all the knots, don't we? So we say, okay, so it's like, you know, they don't need to be circumcised, no circumcision. But it's equally about not being circumcised. What does he mean by that? Well, actually, none of those kind of things, none of those rituals, none of those rules have any value in the kingdom of God. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And actually, it's quite easy for us to invent some of our own rules without realizing we're doing it. I mean, I remember years ago when um, the charismatic movement was a bit younger, and uh, the church that I was in kind of got very uh, caught up in all the things of the spirit. So much so that we just invented another set of rules of things that you can do and you can't do. So it's like hymns, <gasps> only singing worship songs. You know, I wouldn't say hymns were the kind of spawn of the devil, but actually the way people acted sometimes, you would have thought so. So some of the rather beautiful hymns um, just disappeared completely. Can't sing those. So no hymns. Only worship songs. We've kind of moved a bit from that today because we have brilliant worship songs and we sing those. But you'll notice occasionally there is an old hymn that kind of gets in there or one that actually someone has slightly modernized, which is, is fantastic, is brilliant. But we can make our own rules. Um, another one, we, we kind of went through a phase um, in the church where I remember being at a meeting in a different church where it's like when somebody gets prayed for, it, everyone's got to stretch out their hands. It became a bit of a rule. You know, obviously God's not going to do anything unless you've got your hands stretched out in that direction. <laughs> and I hope that we've kind of moved away from that. But it's sometimes interesting to just think, you know, what do I do that is um, kind of, you know, not freedom actually, but just kind of a set of rules. We actually impose rules on ourselves very often without realizing it. So, you know, you'd, you'd have to ask God on that one. But what rules do you impose on yourself or on others? What are your expectations there that uh, is actually nothing really about the kingdom? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So love is the demonstration of the faith that we have. And we'll get to that a bit later as well. If we go to, um, yeah, one more thing I'll say before I go to that. So it's, it's relatively straightforward with rules, isn't it? So, you know, if you've got a rule, you can choose to obey it or you can choose to ignore it. Uh, rules of the road, for example, if you're a driver and you're out on the road, there's all sorts of rules. So there are speed limits. There are no parking signs. There are no entry signs. Uh, it's not written anywhere except in the highway code, but we know that it's the law that we have to wear a seatbelt. And there are all sorts of other things like that when we're on the road. But at the end of the day, you choose whether you obey them or not. Now, I won't ask anybody who doesn't always stick to the speed limit. <laughs> but you, you kind of make that choice, don't you? And, um, and so you'll know if you're obeying a rule or you're breaking a rule generally. The thing about um, freedom 
is that's harder to manage. Just imagine if one day um, the government said, right, we're just scrapping all the rules of the road. You're free. You can drive your car on verges. You can go at 150 miles an hour. You can, you can park where you like. You can do what you like. That would be, if we didn't want utter chaos, an awful lot harder to manage, wouldn't it? And I think there is somewhere um, where they took away uh, kind of the road signs and things at junctions on purpose. Uh, I can't remember where it is. Somewhere in the UK they took, because they, they realised that kind of road signs had just proliferated everywhere. So they decided just to take it all away. And um, actually what happened was it didn't become chaos because because the signs weren't there, people were actually more cautious and more careful. I'm still not sure I'd want that on the M25, but never mind. Um, but, but you see, I think that if you did that, the only way it would work was if everyone was thinking about the other driver. If everyone was concerned about what was happening for someone else, and so drove particularly carefully and kindly and nicely, and then maybe we wouldn't have the chaos. Verse 13 and 14 of this passage, we can find that. Oh, um, yeah. It says, verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So we, we sometimes think we don't, you know, in freedom, in grace, we don't need to keep the law, the Ten Commandments. But actually, the whole law is fulfilled in this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And actually, if you went through the Ten Commandments, which I'm not going to do this morning because you haven't got time, and you thought about loving your neighbor as yourself in regard to the Ten Commandments, you know, do not steal, do not commit adultery, those kind of things, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Because if you were really loving your neighbor, you wouldn't do those things anyway. So it's like we use love And kindness, because kindness is the outworking of love, to manage our freedom. What does freedom look like? Well, it looks like love. It looks like love for God, and it looks like love for others. And proactive love is demonstrated in acts of kindness. Our faith is made real to other people. It demonstrates our faith when we love, through the acts of love that we, we give. And actually, you know, freedom can be abused and freedom can be misused. But if it's used with love, if we use our freedom to love one another and to serve one another, it can change the world. If we use our freedom to kind of do those random acts of kindness, anyone that listened to my preach on the ark on the evening service, remember that I I showed some scenes from um, Evan, Evan Almighty, the film Evan Almighty. And the thing about that is that he talks about random acts of kindness. But actually, it is those acts of kindness, those acts of love, that change the world that we live in. Love is very powerful. Love expressed in kindness is very powerful. In Ephesians 2, 7, it tells us that in order that in the coming ages, he, that's God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ Jesus. The kindness of God is very powerful. It's the thing that brought us life. And actually, that's the thing about love and kindness. It brings life. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal 
life. Because he loves, it brings life. Through the act of his son dying on the cross, that act of kindness of God, it brings us life. I think the trouble with the word kindness is, you know, in our society, kindness sounds a bit weak, doesn't it? It's a bit like, oh, she was very kind. But actually, kindness is a very powerful word. And it has not just the sense of um, doing nice things, but it's also a word that, that means integrity. And it means goodness. It's got power to it. And the kindness of God is like that. It's powerful. It brings life. And the love that we demonstrate is also very powerful. So, for example, James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When we love God, we will gain a crown of life. And then um, Ephesians 4, uh, 31 to 5.2. I think you've got that one, Jane, if you can find that for me. Brilliant, thank you. It says this. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Kindness has also got mercy attached to it, the idea of forgiving one another. Follow God's example therefore, as dearly loved loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There's there's an element of sacrifice to um, the love and kindness that we show. And, you know, it can be very easy to show love and kindness to people that kind of loving and kind towards you. But it's quite difficult to do that when people are not loving and not kind. I was listening to um, something online recently. It was a a chap who is um, a social worker in New York. He comes from the Bronx in New York. And um, he used to, he was a Christian, and uh, I was just listening to him tell the story. And he used to um, very often get off in in an evening. If he was working quite a late shift, um, in the evening, on his way home, he would get off a stop early in in New York, in the Bronx, because he had a favourite diner that he used to like to go and eat in. He wasn't married or anything. And so one um, evening, sort of quite late, he got off the train and was making his way to the diner. And a teenager came out of an alleyway in front of him, um, pulled a knife on him and said, give me your wallet. So, you know, it's kind of not a good idea to argue with someone with a knife. So he pulls out his wallet and he gives it to the young man, says, here you go. And then as the young man started to walk away, he called after him and he said, excuse me. He said, you better take my coat as well. So there's a Bible verse in action. So the young man kind of turns around, a bit confused, unsurprising, and says, what do you mean? So he says, well, he said, if you're going to spend the evening, you know, going around robbing people, it's cold evening, you're going to get cold, you better take my coat. (laughs) So this kind of confuses the young man completely. So he takes off his coat and holds it out. So the young man kind of comes back and takes the coat and sort of looks at him. And then this this chap, Julio, says, well, I'm going to go and get something to eat now. Um, You know, I guess you you really need the money. Otherwise, you wouldn't be risking your kind of freedom and everything for a few dollars. Why don't you come with me and uh, have something to eat? You can just follow me. So Julio sort of sets off the diner and is followed by this very confused young man with with Julio's coat, his wallet and a knife. 
And they get to the diner and they go into the diner and sit down. And because it's a diner that he goes to often and he's well known there, Julio is greeting everyone, saying hi to the waiter. Uh, one of the, what you call the washer-uppers kind of pops his head out at one point and Julio says, oh, hi to him. And, you know, and so, and this young man says to him, uh, so anyway, the, yeah, so the young man says to him, how come you're so nice to everyone? He says, why are you so nice even to the washer-uppers? So Julio says, well, because everybody is important, everyone has value, um, you know, wh- why wouldn't I be? Don't you think that a washer-upper is worth as much as anyone else? So the young man says, well, yeah, but most people don't act like it. So they order the food and they have something to eat. Anyway, the bill comes. Who's got the wallet? <laughs> I just, I was roaring with laughter listening to this story, but anyway... Um, so Julio says to the young man, well, he says, um, you've got my wallet, so I'm afraid you're going to have to pay for it. No, he didn't say that. You've got my wallet, so I can't pay. He says, give me back my wallet, and I'll pay for the meal. So guess what? The young man hands him back the wallet, and he pays for the meal. And then he takes out um, $20, $20 from his wallet, because um, there's not much cash left at this point, and gives it to this young man. So the young man sort of looks at him. He said, well, you obviously need it. He said, but actually, if I'm giving you this money, you ought to give me something. Give me your knife. So the young man gives him his knife. So he now has his knife and, and his wallet. And the young man sort of stands up to go and sort of looks at him. And he says, well, you better have your coat back. <laughs> now, there's no magic end to this story. Right? It was nothing. The young man didn't suddenly fall on his knees and give his life to God. But what I do know is that Julio left footprints in that young man's life by acts of kindness and love towards someone who didn't deserve it, who didn't earn it. And actually in doing that, I mean, he couldn't go around to rob anybody else that night because he'd got the knife. But actually, I'd like to think that God was doing something in that young man's life, that something changed because of it. We don't know what effect we have always. We won't always see the end of it. But no act of love or kindness goes, um, you know, it goes out and is empty. Because actually we are expressing something of God. And in the same way that the Bible talks about God's word never returns to him empty. Actually, I believe that's true of love and kindness because it's who God is. The challenge is to do something like that to someone that really doesn't deserve or earn our love and our kindness. But then we didn't deserve or earn any of the love and kindness that God gives us. None of those fruits of the Spirit, who who he is, the love and the kindness and the peace and all the things that he kind of, he gives us. We didn't deserve or earn those either, did we? But yet he still gave them. And also, thinking about that, that Ephesians passage, You know, kindness has the power to displace evil. It has the power to displace the works of the evil one. If we want to know how to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice, well, then we need to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you, because those things will displace the work of the enemy. What else does love and kindness look like when we dis- dis- demonstrate it? Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. I always feel a bit sad about this passage. It's done at so many weddings that I think we kind of almost lose um, the power of it, don't we? Oh, yes, that one they do at weddings. My son's getting married in October, and um, my middle son has said, well, as long as you don't give me that 1 Corinthians 13 passage to read, (laughs) 
let's have something different. But actually, it's a very good passage about love and just a little bit of it that I've picked out here. Love, this is what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. That means it's satisfied with what it has. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. That means it's, it's humble. It does not dishonor others. In other words, it honors them. It isn't self-seeking. So that means it's, it's not selfish. It's selfless. It's not eagerly angered. Love is peaceful. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives, in other words. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love and evil don't walk hand in hand. Love and truth do. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And if anybody wants to, you go away and you look at that passage and then you go back to the fruits of the spirit, you'll find there's quite a lot of similarities. And we haven't got time to go into that tonight. But there are quite a few things in there that appear in the fruits of the spirit as well. So thinking about those footprints, all those things leaves footprints. Love, it said in that, in that passage, always trusts. It's another quick story. Um, this is a much smaller thing than Julio and his stolen wallet. When I was nursing years ago, um, when I was, before I was married, I'd been on night duty um, for a period of time and I'd done my last night duty and then I got some um, days off. So I thought I'd go home to my parents in Loughton. I was, I was um, nursing in London, so it wasn't very far to go. So, of course, it kind of throws you out, really. You kind of, you've just finished work, so you're kind of having dinner when everyone else is having breakfast. But, so I had something to eat and then gone down to the train station to get the train home. When I got there, I realized that I didn't have any money in my purse. And um, we didn't have debit cards or anything in the same way then. So I've got no way of getting home. And I'd actually got up to the counter before I realized. And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I've I've not got any money on me. I'm going to have to try and go back and see if I can get some in the nursing home. And the lady behind me tapped me on the shoulder. And she said, um, I'll, I'll pay your fare if you like. So I kind of looked at her thinking. And she said, no, it's fine. She said, um, I'll give you my name and address and you can, you can send me a check, all the money. So, and she, she told me her name was Angela. Anyway, when she got her purse out, I'm still feeling a bit confused by this. And I saw she got the alpha sign on her purse. So I said, oh, you're a Christian. She said, yeah, so am I. So we had a little conversation about that. But she was actually willing to trust the fact that I would... Um, send the money back to her, give, give me her name and address. And I guess if I hadn't, it wasn't a huge sum of money. But somehow it was just that act of kindness, that act of love that just trusted and said, here, I'll do that for you and you can send me the money back again. And actually, I've, I've never forgotten that. She probably forgot it and didn't think about it again. But all these years later, I still remember a lady who would love enough to trust and actually be willing to pay for my ticket for me. It's a footprint in my life. The word for kindness, as I said, is is quite um, a powerful word, and it implies goodness, integrity. It also implies mercy and generosity. There's a sense of generosity as well about acts of love and kindness. So when we're generous in any way, not just with our money, but with our time or anything else, that, that we're expressing that love and kindness of God. Right, love in action. Is all those things. And, you know, we should expect it. We should expect love and, and kindness to define us as people and as a church. Because Jesus said, didn't he, that it's how the world will know that we're his disciples. Because we love one another. 
And there are lots and lots of ways that we love one another at Eastgate. And because I do a lot of pastoral stuff, I have the privilege of seeing what a wonderful and amazing group of people you are. You know, when people anonymously um, put money into the members fund and say, um, I've heard so-and-so's got, um, you know, a, a bit of an issue at the moment. Could, could you kind of give them something? And we can do that out of a members fund. But actually, it's someone that's given anonymously for that. And, you know, I hear people that sort of need help and, and, and where folk rally around and help them. And that is amazing. And I think, you know, even just on a Sunday morning, all the different ways in which we serve, as David said, you know, earlier, we really value that. You know, everybody that's in the car park um, directing traffic, uh, not quite sure who it was this morning directing me in, but just stood there, the arm pointing in the right direction. I know exactly where I'm going, you know. How often do we appreciate what people do for us? Because they don't have to do it. They're volunteers. All of you that serve are volunteers. And we value that. But we need to learn how to value each other as well. And just say thank you sometimes to the car parking people. If you're like me, sometimes you're rushing in at the last minute. And it's quite easy to kind of, you know, treat them as a bit of the furniture. But they're not. They're people that love and serve. So remember to say thank you to those that serve us. Right, so let's just wind things up. It was for freedom Christ set us free. Freedom to enjoy and to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Freedom that we manage by love and kindness, leaving his footprints wherever we go. You will leave footprints. We all do. Footprints can be good ones. Footprints can be not so good ones. I'm not perfect. I get mad at my husband sometimes. Not a good footprint to leave I wouldn't literally stamp on him but (laughs) he's not here today he's been up in Edinburgh Edinburgh watching the European uh, rugby final so I can say what I like Um, (laughs) and hope he doesn't listen to it on the podcast no Um, I wouldn't literally stamp on his face would I but actually you know what when I'm unkind when I'm you know unreasonable it's a footprint it's like that's what I do So what I want to do is I want to leave good footprints wherever I go. And I need God's help in that because I'm human and so are you. My kids, I want to leave good footprints in their lives. When they remember me, I want them to remember those good footprints. Footprints that build them up. Footprints that teach them how valuable they are. Footprints that make them feel important. Footprints that point them to the Father. Footprints that bring hope, value, love and kindness. Because if we can really start doing that, every footprint that we leave is a footprint of love or kindness or any of those other fruits of the Spirit. Do you know what? We're going to change the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.